So, happy Halloween weekend. We're talking bones and tombstones this morning. Does that sound good? All right, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 23, 1 through 27. 2 Kings 23, 1 through 27 is where we're going to land this morning. We have Bibles scattered around the room, and if you don't have one at home, uh, that one there is our gift to you. Today we're going to be talking bones and ashes and tombstones and fire and scary stuff. It should be good. We're in week three of our journey through the reign of, of King Josiah, really focusing on how we as God's people like Josiah can receive and respond to and rely upon the book. Right? We want to be a people who are of the book, the, the Bible. And what we have seen so far through looking at the reign of King Josiah is that God's words, his book, uh, they are historically verifiable instruction given for us that we can learn and, and live by. They're, they're, they're breathed out by God. They're, they're life-changing. We, we've seen that these words are indestructible, that the word of the Lord endures forever. And we get to sit here holding them in our hands Today and, and so that's what we've, we've talked about so far through the reign of Josiah. And, and today, let me just tell you that what we're looking at is something that is huge. I, I mean, it's just huge. And so let's press in hard this morning, all right? Can we do that? We're going to press in hard to the scriptures. And so uh, let me start by asking, did you ever have a family meeting growing up? Anybody ever have, you know, the, the family meetings growing up where, where the family would get together and you would talk? business as a family, maybe after, after dinner. And, and my mom and dad are actually in town, so uh, you guys turn around and wave to them. They're in the back there. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. They're in town. <clears throat> and uh, with all the sugar that was consumed this weekend by my children, uh, they knew that we would need their help, that we could not consume and handle our, our kids by ourselves, that our kids get puffed up with sugar and nearly explode like the Hulk. And so parents came in as reinforcements, and so grateful for that. But I remember some of our family meetings growing up, and uh, now as a dad myself, I, I hold some family meetings from time to time where we'll get together after dinner with the kids, and, and we'll sit down in the living room, and, and we'll have, have a meeting, and we'll say something like, all right, kids, you're growing up. It's time to pull your weight around here, right? And uh, we'll talk about chores with them, or, or, or say something like, okay, kids, your behavior has been a mess, and we've got to talk about this. And, and with me being very type A, it usually ends in some kind of chart with stickers or a, a sign at the bottom, bottom line here. Uh, but as I've done that numerous times throughout my uh, fathering career, um, something seems to lack in the charts. It, you know, so there's something that's, that's lacking. It, it's inevitable that the charts never get completely filled out. It's inevitable that they, they fall off of the fridge and get ripped up and thrown away and we just ignore them altogether. And, you know, today we see Josiah calling a family meeting of sorts with the people of, of Judah. Yet as we look at this story, we're going to see that, you know, there's something that's lacking in this meeting. And so let me, let me catch us up to speed a little bit here. Uh, Josiah was a, a, a boy born into a very important family, the, the tribe of Judah, the line of, of David, descending from, yes, King David, David and Goliath, big deal. He's, he's later listed at the beginning uh, of the gospel according to, to Matthew in the genealogy uh, of Jesus. It's a very, very important family line. And, and, and yet, 
as we look back a couple generations prior to Josiah, things are not good. Those, those who immediately uh, precede him are, are two very wicked kings uh, of Judah. Manasseh, his grandfather, Ammon, his, his father. And because of the deep-rooted sin of his grandfather, Manasseh, among which were child sacrifice to the false god Moloch, because of this, God declares, I'm going to bring judgment upon my people here in Judah. Upon Jerusalem and Judah. Then Josiah's father, Ammon, he was so wicked that his staff rises up and they kill him because of his wickedness. Leaving Josiah with the throne at the ripe age of eight. And then in the eighth year of his reign, do your math, he's now 16 years old. God starts to move upon Josiah's heart and his heart turns to the Lord and he starts to follow after the Lord. And then we get into the, the, the next four years at age 20. Now he's an adult in the eyes of, of the people of, of Israel. And Josiah says, okay, I'm an adult now. I'm going to get to business. And he starts to get to, to business. He starts tearing down altars to false gods. Six years later, he's now 26 years old. He starts to renovate the, the temple in Jerusalem. And this is when everything changes. Everything goes crazy. He's renovating the temple. He's got all these people doing all kinds of work. And then all of a sudden, there's this huge discovery that is made. Hilkiah comes and says, I have found the book. I found the book. That, that they, they found the Bible. It had almost been eradicated by the wickedness of those who have come before him. It was either hidden by wicked kings or it just fell to the wayside and nobody even cared to, to read the Bible. And so they forgot about it and it got hidden somewhere under the, the, the rubble. But in the midst of the renovation, the Bible is found. They find the last copy of God's word. As I've said along this journey, it is so easy for us to not really be impressed by that. That's a huge deal. We live in a country where I have 20 Bibles at home. You're probably pretty similar. We have lots of access, easy access to the Bible. They found the, the book and everything changes. And we've got to sit every single week in the weight of the fact that we have the Bible in our hands. The very words of God that endure forever. In the beginning was the, give it to me, the word, right? And he became flesh, he dwelt among us, and, and now his life, his story, his genealogy, the history leading up to him, it's all recorded here in, in the book, right? We have the words of God. They find the book, and, and now Hilkiah the high priest, Shaphan, Josiah's secretary, and Josiah do the obvious thing when they get the book. They find the book. What's the obvious thing we do? We read it. We, they read the, the Bible. And how does Josiah respond after he reads the Bible? You remember? He Pulls a Hulk Hogan. He, he rips his shirt. Right? He, he tears his clothes. For them, it was a cultural appropriate expression of, of brokenness over our sin. He, he rips his clothes. He begins to weep. Just realizing just how far he and, and, and God's people have been away from living out the words of God. It's this beautiful expression of humility and brokenness and reliance upon God. God, we have not been living this thing out. And so his next steps kind of look like this. He sends his top five guys to go inquire of the Lord for him. Go seek God. Okay, we have these words. I've read it. Now, now what? What, what, is this, what does this mean? 
And he seeks these five guys, or sends these five guys to go seek and inquire of the Lord and, and figure out, okay, what does this mean for us? And, and, and what does it mean for me? And what's really cool that we see in there is that he doesn't just inquire for himself, he inquires for all the people. So often we read the Bible and we say, okay, what does that mean for me? What's in it for me? What does God want me to do? We also need to train our hearts and minds to say, okay, what does God want us to do, right? My, my marriage, what does this mean for both of us? My, my family, what does this mean for, for all of us? Our, our church, what does it mean for us as a church? What does it mean for our community, for our city, for our nation, for our world? We, we have to read the Bible that way. He reads the Bible that way. And, and she comes back and she says, here's what it means for you and here's what it means for all of them. The, the prophetess that they go inquire of, named, her name is Hulda, she says this. She says, okay, here's what it means. I, I spoke to God and God says, you have not been living by the book. Here's what God says. He says the wages of sin is death. Right? He says, what's going to happen is I'm going to bring disaster upon this place and all of its inhabitants because they have forsaken me and my wrath will be poured out. And historically speaking, that's what happens. Babylon comes and God's wrath is poured out through his instrument of, of Babylon. She says, but for you, Josiah, here's what God says. God says, you will die in peace. You're going to die before all of this destruction comes because of how broken and contrite your heart was. So that's where we finished last week. Now today we get into the scripture and continue on with this story. And I want to, I want to read this. Let's, let's look at Second uh, Kings 23, 1 through 3. Let's read it. It says, Then the king sent, and all the elders in Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined the covenant. Let's stop there. So Josiah says, here's what's going to happen. I've read the book. I hear what God says about it. We are going to start obeying God's word. Not just me. We are going to start obeying God's word. And so what does he do? He calls the people together. He, he says, I want the people of Jerusalem and Judea, Judah to, to, to come together together. Uh, towards the temple for a family meeting. He starts with the elders. He calls the, the priests and the prophets. Some of the, the contemporaries of Huldah of that day were, were Jeremiah and Zephaniah. So some big name prophets, they're all there. Uh, but not just the leaders. It says all the people, all the people come together, small and great. And what does he do? It says he, he stands by the pillar, which is at the, the eastern gate of the inner courtyard at the, the temple. It's, it's a place where the kings would customarily address the people. And he stands at the, the, the pillar. And you can imagine, okay, the king is at the place where the king goes when he's going to speak. And a hush falls over the crowd. And, and what does he do? He reads the book. To the people. There it is again. The reading of the, the book. There's this historic discovery. The book is found. It's been discovered. They, they, they read it. And now they're going to read it for the people. And it says for all the people. Small and great. Listen. It has always been God's intention that all people have access to his words. That has always been God's intention. 
And, and you know, much more than Halloween, Friday was Reformation Day, celebrating the, the Reformation of the church. Commemorating when, when Martin Luther in 1517 went to the castle church and, and nailed his 95 theses to the door with these indictments of how they were away from the book. And how could they even know? The people couldn't know because they didn't even have access to, to, to the book. And so what he does is he ensures that the people get Scripture into their hands and they get the copy of, of the Bible translated for them into to, to German. Because here's the thing. When only a select few people have access to these words, corruption follows, doesn't it? You can look throughout history because people don't know the, the, the truth. But on the other hand, Education is power, right? And that's true today. Education is power. If you can keep people from being uneducated, they can't get to your power. But education is power. Power to the people, right? Today, if I stand up here or any other preacher stands up here and teaches to you something, you must always Always hold it up against the word of God. Don't just take what I say at face value because I'm up here, but hold it up against the word of God. We are not a a cult. We want to get power, not in just one person. We want to get power into the hands of the people. We want to decentralize power. And so we invite you, like we've been doing the past few weeks through this series, if you have questions about the Bible, about the authenticity of the Bible, about the historicity of the Bible, how can we even really believe it seriously? We want you to ask questions. We want you to investigate. We want you to, to press in. And so what does Josiah do? He reads the Bible to all the people, small and great, adults and kids. And so we have kids over here right now. They're studying the scriptures. They're looking at the Bible. Yesterday, with our Kids Connect program up at Washington Beach Housing Development, we had kids studying the Scriptures. They're working their way through the Bible. They're now in in Matthew, right? All the people, young and old, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, all the people, all the people need access to the Word of God. Now, here's another observation that that we can make. Were, Were the renovations of the temple completed yet? No, they, were, they weren't even com- completed yet, right? But he still gathers all the people together to the temple. People from all over the land. So this is a big deal. There's a lot of people from all over the land coming together. And he's in the middle of a, a crazy renovation scene at the temple. But he, he, he brings them anyways, even in the midst of it. Why? Because hearing the word of God and understanding the word of God and living out the word of God, that is what's most important. Forget the external stuff. This is what's most important. For, for my family, the past couple of months in my house, we just moved to a new place. It's just been a complete renovation scene. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy in there. We, we had to talk about this, and we made a conscious decision. Our, our connection group's going to continue there. We're going to continue to have people over because we want to study the Scriptures with people. This is the priority. Listen, trust me. Some of you know me well. Like, my, my leaning would be i got to get everything in order, get the place clean and looking perfect before I have anybody over. But we said, you know what? It's not how it's going to be. And so come on over. We'll study the Scripture. We'll talk about the Lord. We'll pray together but you're going to have to help us because we don't have a kitchen sink. And so we're doing dishes in the bathroom, all right? And so that's just how it's going to work. Josiah prioritized. 
He said, God's word is important. The people have to hear it. Forget the show. Forget all the externals. God's word has to be heard. And so he calls them all together. And then what? What happens? The 26-year-old king, 26 years old, stands before the people of God. And he makes a covenant to the Lord. And he says, verse 3, I'm going to follow the Lord. And I'm going to follow the commandments in this book. I'm going to follow the testimonies in this book. I'm giving all of my heart, all of my soul to living by this book. Kind of sounds like Joshua, doesn't it? Remember the story with, with Joshua? Choose this day whom you will serve. But for me and my house, we will what? We're going to serve the Lord, right? And Josiah is doing it now sometime later. Now, how do the people react to this? They see his example, and what do they do? They say, us too, we're in, count us in, right? Verse 3 says, and all the people, all the people who were there, not some, all the people joined in the covenant. They said, all right, this, this is, we're in. This is a huge occasion. Don't read something like this and just kind of say, wow, that's, yeah, that's a little historical moment. All the people, all these people, tons of people have gathered together and they're saying, yeah, forget our history of, of wandering and what's been going on. We are going to start to follow the Lord and live for the Lord. It is a massive win for King Josiah. Put yourself in his shoes. It's a massive win. And this is huge, right? He successfully got all the people to recommit themselves to, to obeying God's commandments. It's amazing. Now, what happens next, it's known as the reforms of King Josiah. So coming off of Reformation Day on on Friday, these are Josiah's reforms to get people to live by the book, to get the nation to live by the book. So he had been cleaning up up to this point a little bit, but now he's got all the people committed, all the people are in, and so it's total overhaul across the entire land. Now, here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to read a very lengthy chunk of Scripture together. And I want you to hang in there because I know it can be hard. You have an extra hour of sleep under your belt, so hang in there. And I want you to listen to how messed up God's people had been. As we read this, as you hear of what Josiah had to do to clean up the house a bit, just just see how far they had drifted. And so read with me chapter 23. We're going to go 4 through 20. Here's what it says. It says, And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron, and carried their ashes to Bethel. He deposed the priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord out of Jerusalem to the brook of Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests made offerings. From Jeba to Beersheba, he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gates of Joshua, the governor of the city, 
which were on uh, one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. He defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech and the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire and the altars of the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the king of Judah had made and the altars of Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He pulled down and broke into pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of Sodian, Sidians, and Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar of Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, uh, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount. He sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed, who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted that these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be. Let no man move his bones. And so they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all of the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars. And he burned human bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. That's messed up. The people were far from God. Josiah does a complete overhaul. He removes everything that is connected to the worship of false gods of his ancestors. Let's recount a little bit what he has done in case some of the things didn't click with you. Inside of the temple, the temple of God, the house of God, it was, it was full of objects created to worship false gods. And so he has Hilkiah and the doorkeepers, who are, their job is to keep the right things uh, from coming in and, and the wrong things from coming in and the right things from, from coming out, right? He says, I want you to remove all of these objects. And then he, he takes them, he has them burned in the field of, of, of Kidron, the Kidron Valley. But when they do that, he then scoops up the ashes and he brings them to Bethel and he scatters them at Bethel, the heart of pagan worship. Now, notice... By scattering ashes, according to the, the, the customs of uh, desecrating places, this is what he was desecrating these places. He wasn't just saying, I'm, I'm ending. He's actually going to desecrate by scattering these ashes. Now, he, he, he drove out next pagan priests who were leading the people in, in false worship. He then takes the Asherah pole out of the, the temple 
courts. It's this massive pole of a shirtless woman. Yeah, pornography right inside of the temple courts there. The motherhood of fertility right there, just bare in front of all the people. He removes it. He burns it. Whatever's left over from the burning, he beats it down to, to dust at the Kidron Brook. Then scoops up all the ashes there, scatters them upon the graves of other idol worshipers. Also inside of the temple courts, all kinds of tents. Imagine a farmer's market, except instead of tomatoes, male prostitutes, right, under the, the, the tents. And, and women who are weaving things for the Asherah to worship Asherah. Maybe worship flags, we don't know exactly. But you better believe that Josiah, when he sees all of this, tears down all of those tents. There's more though. He left the temple. He gathers all the Levitical priests together from from Jeba to Beersheba and he gathers them together. That's the northern border of Judah to the southern border of Judah. He gets all of them together and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to destroy the high places that you have been leading the people to worship wrongly at. They had been taking uh, these places and creating many scale temples around the, the region of Jerusalem, which is completely opposite of what God said. He says, I want you to come to Jerusalem to, to worship. It's not what the law prescribed, but they said, we don't, they got lazy, we don't want to travel. And so they created these many scale temples. Josiah destroys it. Archaeology affirms that there was this temple on earth at Arad, uh, dated back to the 10th century. Very similar to Solomon's temple. In fact, the altar was the exact dimensions. Just shows that this is true. This is historically verifiable. They were, in fact, doing this. He says, we're going to tear them all down. It goes on. Uh, he, he destroys the high places of worship uh, outside the governor's palace, the palace of, uh, of, of Joshua. It goes on. There's so much here. I mean, this one is just absolutely gut-wrenching. And Topheth, where, where the people worship the false god Moloch, they would burn their children upon these altars. And he doesn't just tear them down, does he? He defiles them. Is he going overboard? They're burning children, right? This is unbelievable. They've gotten so far from God. So far from God. There's more. The, the kings of Judah uh, at the temple had, had dedicated these horses to the sun as if the sun were some sort uh, of God. The sun that our God has created. They dedicate these horses to the sun. Again, archaeological excavations uh, confirm that there, there, there was this recent excavation with hundreds of artifacts that were found. Worship artifacts. And there were horses with these circles in between their ears. Believe that to be uh, a representation of these horses who were there dedicated to the sun as if the sun were a god and they were stabled right there in the temple courts. And he gets rid of all of that. Gets rid of the stables. Not anymore. We don't worship the sun. We don't dedicate animals to the sun. We don't do that. And, and, and more, Josiah removes altars from around the, the temple courtyard that were erected by his grandfather. Some were even dated all the way back to, to Solomon. He, he gets rid of them and then he defiles them with the bones of, of, of men. And then the final act that we read about here relates to that 340-year-old prophecy about Josiah. You remember the prophecy we looked at at the very, very beginning of our sermon series? 1 Kings chapter 13, 2 through 3. The prophet comes to Jeroboam and says, O altar, O altar, 
He speaks about Josiah by name. He says, he shall burn bones on you and the altar will be torn down. Jeroboam was the first wicked king of the divided kingdom. He had built this altar to keep people from coming down south to worship at Jerusalem to elevate his own power. Well, 340 years later, just like that prophet said, he tears it down. And then that prophet was buried right outside that area. And Josiah says, don't touch that. We're going to keep that. We're going to honor him. And then he burns bones upon the altar to defile it and to smash it down there. It's the last one, a big one. And what we have now is we have Judah completely purged, right? Completely purged. Now, let me ask you a question. Were the people on board with this? As we read, yeah, they're on board with this. I mean, you can imagine how big of a deal this is for them. Much like in the New Testament, people would have lost jobs who, who created these artifacts and, and helped with, with the worship. And they, they lost their jobs. This is their way of life for, for generations. It's completely changed at this point. But did they revolt? No, they don't revolt. The people are, they're on board, right? And, and, and now that, that, that Judah has been completely purged, the people are on board. What does he do next? He restores rightful worship of the Lord. Let's, let's read on. 21 through 23. It says this, it says, And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. So, he's cleared the place of false worship, And now he's restoring worship with the Passover, Israel's oldest festival. And it says that no such Passover has been kept since the days of the judges. Since the beginning of the era of the kings, nobody has kept the Passover like this king and none after him. And and so this is the most by-the-book Passover that has happened in the entire era of the kings. And, And what year is this, by the way, as it says here? It's the 18th year of the king. And so he's 26 years old still. So all of this change has happened in how long? In one year. That's a lot of change. And the people, did they reject it or did they accept it? They accepted it, right? They accepted it. This is a historical reform. All the people are on board with this. In one year, there's no revolt among the people. This is amazing. Now, read 24 and and 25 with me. It says, Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods of the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. So, mediums and necromancers were those who would inquire of the dead. People would come to them and say, inquire of my, my dead loved ones, right? Josiah says, that's not biblical. You're, you're fired. Get out of here. We only inquire of the Lord now. This is a, this is a big deal. And and what we also see is that this reform wasn't just done in public, but it was also done in private. It says that all the household gods are now gone. That means all the little uh, 
gods that they had made up. They had full-size idols and they had little figurine idols in their house. He gets rid of them from every single house. The point is that the people, all the people were in on this. All the people seem to be affected by the reform down to every last house. This is absolutely amazing. The entire land is is different. And so verse 25 commemorates Josiah with that verse that we studied at the very beginning of this. It says, before him there was no king like him. He turned to the Lord with everything that he has and there was no king like him after. What What an amazing victory. Can you even imagine Every household in our nation, every household starting to clear out their house, purge their house of all the wickedness and all the sin. Every single household. It was absolutely amazing. A great victory of change for King Josiah. But still something is off. This is a a family meeting. It's like for me, I have a family meeting. We draw up the chart, we create the contract. Kids sign the agreement. They get their first sticker. But I find that still there's, there's something that's, that, that's missing, something that's off. And read with me our last two verses, 26 and 27. It says, And still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off this city as I have chosen Jerusalem, the house of which I said my name shall be there. Had his name been there? No. And they have cleaned up their act But still, it says, still, God says, you've cleaned up your act, but still, I am going to wipe you off. Just like I did the northern kingdom, Israel. Now, amazing changes have taken place. It's amazing. And God says, yet I'm going to exercise my wrath upon you. And and wait a second here. Had God turned his wrath from Josiah? Yeah. He said, Josiah, because of how you've turned to me, you're going to go to your grave in peace. But the people turned too. Wait a second, God. People turned too. What's the difference? To get a clue, I'm just going to read 2 Chronicles 34, 33 in the, the same account, the same story in 2 Chronicles it says this, it says, In all his days, Josiah's days, in all his days, they did not turn away from following the Lord. So there was great change, wasn't there? I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we cannot minimize that. In all whose days? Josiah's days. But after he's gone, you read the rest of the story, and it goes south fast, doesn't it? Really fast. In all his days, Yes, we're going to honor the Lord, but it goes south fast. Let me ask you a question. When the boss is looking, are you checking your fantasy football? No, right? When, when, when the boss is nearby, are you on Instagram? Of course not, right? 
When the boss is looking, you're perked up and you're clicking, even if you're clicking nothing, just a space bar, you know. You're, you're clicking, right? Trying to look faithful. The people respected Josiah. They wanted to, to please him. But the reality is that when he's gone, they're not faithfully following the Lord. Last night with my, my kids, uh, my, my three kids are in a room together uh, this weekend because the grandparents are in town in my daughter's room. And, and so my boys have two twin beds and we blew up an arrow bed or an air mattress right in between. And my little daughter, Nora, sleeping on the ground uh, between them and just having an absolute blast. And, and so last night I went to put them down uh, for bed and I lay down with them and I told them a story and I prayed with them and, and I sang with them. And I'm telling you, I don't know what it was last night, but they were just angelic. It was amazing. It's very rare. And, and they were just angelic. And, and then as I get up to walk out the door after singing the song, my little Nora, three years old, says to her brother Luca, she says, Luca, when daddy leaves, let's talk about God. <laughs> what she calls God, Dodd. Let's, let's talk about Dodd. And my heart was in a puddle, just melted, and I had to like wipe it and mop it up or something. And I went to my bed and sat on my bed and was doing a little more studying, and I was so full of pride. Man, I must have done something right. My little kingdom, right? Influence, such pride. And I sit down on my bed with my Bible, and they had thought I went downstairs. And do you think they started talking about Dodd? No. <laughs> they immediately said, hey. Let's have a jumping contest. And they started jumping off the beds onto the air mattress, dropping elbows and going crazy. They were still so juiced up on sugar from Halloween. It was insane. I'm still waiting for the crash, by the way. I mean, uh, you're supposed to have the crash the next morning. They're not hungover yet. It's a mess. There was immediate life change. But my question is, for these people, was their life change a heart change or an image change? You know what I mean? Like they, they cleaned up for Josiah. And, and, and they moved forward with this new status quo across the land. The, the reform had become widespread popular, right? But historically, the, the weakest seasons of Christianity are when our Christian faith is popular and widely accepted, isn't it? People talk about it's going to get so hard in America, pressing down on us. And it's true. I, I, listen, I, I, I believe that. I think we can see it right in front of us if we turn on the news. But you know what? I also think that means that our brightest days are yet ahead. Don't you? Because the darker it is, the brighter we shine. And so I think our best days are, are ahead of us. Apparently, however, as the reforms grew popular among the people, there was some heart change that, that was lacking because as soon as their godly king left, it was over for them. Their faith left as well. And, and listen carefully. Here's what I want you to leave with. I believe this is so important for us. And that is this, that reform without revival is a dangerous thing. It is dangerous to get your act all cleaned up, but in your heart, you're dead. Reform without revival is a, a, a dangerous thing. And, and this, is, this is happening. There, you know, there, there's, there's good stuff happening in their midst externally, but there was something off in the, their hearts. 
And listen, I love what God's doing in our midst. But my fear is that people are here simply because there's people in the same life stage as you. or Because I can make friends here. Or because I have a family support provider. Or I can do this here and do what I'm good at or what I like. And I want that for you. That is a good, good thing. But you also have to check your heart and say, is it about all that stuff or is it about Jesus for me? I don't want people to notice, wow, he's a church person now. She's a a church person now. I want people to say, wow, you're a Jesus person now. You're a person who loves Jesus with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might. That, That then flowing out of that comes reform, comes life change. Listen to what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 12. I'm going I'm to read you 43 through 44. This is a really strange passage, but check this out. Listen to what Jesus, he, he says, he speaks about demon possession. And he says this, he says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. Because deserts were uh, descriptive in those days, and, and a picture of those days of, of, of where the demons hung out. Passing through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. And then it says, the demon, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. So Jesus gives this strange little parable here about a person who's had a demon exercised out of them. And he says that the demon leaves the person and, and, and he goes around and, and then he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. And he goes back to the person and he finds that the person's house has been swept up, uh, uh, cleaned up, put in order, and it's, and it's empty. And so what does the demon do? There's room there for me. So he goes and gets seven other demons, even greater than himself, and they come back and they possess him again. And it says that the the last state is worse than the the first state. Yes, seven demons are worse than one demon, right? The last state is worse than the first. And, And Jesus says, and so it will be with this evil generation. What happened? What's going on? It's not good for somebody to have a demon. We want the demon to come out of them, right? To clean up. But the demon comes back and he finds the house. He finds the person looking all clean. All everything's straight and everything's in order. But empty. Empty. Here's what we need. We need not just to clean up our act be empty inside. We need Jesus to come indwell us by his spirit as we become followers of Christ and it pushes all the awful stuff out. And the life change comes out of that. Reform without revival is a dangerous thing. We have to ask ourselves, am I cleaned up and I'm, am I looking a little bit better but inside I'm still empty? That's not what you want. Right? You don't just clean up for Jesus. You never have to clean up for Jesus. He says, I take you as you are. You turn from sin. You turn to me. And then I start to clean you up. We call that sanctification. But Jesus is pushing all that stuff out. We don't clean up for him. 
My fear is that we get this false sense of security based on behavior change. But inside, we're still empty. And it might last for a season, but we all know people who they got their act together. There's a lot of change. Wow, it was so fast. It was awesome. But then you look at them sometime later and you say, what happened? What happened was they cleaned up their act. And maybe they even cleaned up their act because it was the popular thing to do because people around them were doing it, much like in Josiah's day. It became the movement of cleaning up your act. But it wasn't out of an overflow of the heart that I just love Jesus and I don't want to do things that offend him. It was out of maybe it's I'm growing up and I've got to stop doing the things I used to do. Or maybe it's all these people around me. I like hanging around them. Maybe I'll clean up and try to look like them. And it needs to be Jesus doing that work in you. Parents, when you parent your children, do not just go for their behavior. Go for their heart. You gotta go for their heart. You gotta really prayerfully say, God, what's going on inside of that little heart? What's happening there? My charts never last. Why? Because my kids are in it for the sticker. <laughs> or the novelty of the whole thing. What I really want is my little kids to have a heart that they want to honor God. They want to obey mom and dad because they love us, right? That's what we want. That's what we want. Disciple makers, which should be all of us. When you're pouring your life into somebody else, don't go for the external behaviors. Go for the the heart. Uh, You only got five out of seven quiet times this week, my man. Yeah, but what's going on in their heart? Go after the, the heart, right? It's that age-old question. It's the spiritual chicken or the egg. What comes first, reform or revival? And as we read the scripture, it's revival. Being revived, given new life because of Jesus, because we've trusted in him and what he's done for us. We've given new life and then all the stuff starts to get shed and cleaned up by Jesus, not because we cleaned up for him. He takes you as you are, but he doesn't keep you as you are. Understand that. In scriptures, as we read through this whole account, it mentions Josiah's heart, doesn't it? Talks about how his heart, because of his heart, there was no king before him like him or after him like him because of how he turned with all of his heart. But does it ever say anything about the heart of the people? We see Josiah broken over his sin. Do we see people broken over their sin? No. They're just, okay, follow his lead. Let's do it. And then they start looking around. Everybody's doing all right. It's about the heart. About the heart. So I'm going to lead us in prayer in just a minute here. And here's what we all need to do. We all need to take this time to go before the Lord and say, God, just examine my heart. So would you close your eyes? I'm just going to lead you in the prayer of David in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. We talked a few weeks ago about praying scripture. Let's pray this together. Here's what David prays. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. He doesn't say know my actions. He says know my heart. God, would you search our hearts? Make it clear for us today what's going on in our hearts. Do we love you with everything that we have? 
and press upon our hearts, God. May there not be doubt where doubt is not necessary. But where our hearts are off, Father, we plead with you to search us and show us if we're the real deal. Or if we're just people who kind of cleaned up the house, but the house is empty. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And Father, I echo that prayer for myself. On behalf of our church, would you search us and know us? We want to live for you. We want to shine bright in the midst of darkness, but not because it's the thing to do. Not because we want to earn something from you, but because we've been made new by you. You've given us a fresh start in Jesus. We place faith in Jesus, Lord. And may we be a people who just naturally overflow out of that, a life that honors you. And increasingly, Lord. And so God, I pray for my my Christian brothers and sisters in this room. Somehow we, we, we tend to keep drifting back in the flesh towards trying to earn your favor by our doing things. May we sit in the gospel, the good news that you have done for us, what we could never do for ourselves. And may we continue to ask you to search our hearts. For the parents, I pray that we would parent after the heart. For the disciple makers, that we would disciple after the heart. And God, for those in this room who they're not a believer, they're not following Jesus, Lord, pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work in their hearts that only you can do. That by your word, you would stir them up. You would show them their sin. And that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Free. And they see that they don't have to earn it. They just have to lean upon Jesus and what he's done on the cross by taking upon himself the wage of our sin, paying the price for us, and then resurrecting the life, showing his power over the grave that he is God. May they turn to you. And the best way that you know how, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. And watch what he starts to do in your life. You don't have to clean for him. Let him do that in you. You just come to him as you are and call upon the name of Jesus right now. And so God, as we sing a song, we sing a song that is a prayer, a declaration. We're giving you our hearts in this time. Do your work in our midst, Father. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.